0: And welcome to the Midweek Podcast. I'm Matt Deason, and I'm here with Donald Easterbrooks, and we are very excited to talk about our topic this morning, Uh, but also some exciting news on the coronavirus front. Uh, Many of you know that Washington State recently released its four-phase plan to start lifting some of the restrictions that have been in place And from what I gather, it looks like the month of May is shelter in place. But starting June 1st, we'll be able to see uh, five people a week outside of your family or household. And then, roughly three weeks later, in late June, it should open up to gathering in groups of 50. Uh, And once we hit that 50 mark, that would allow us to start gathering again in small groups in people's homes and also some form of Sunday gathering uh, in that uh, late June mark. Now, a few things to keep in mind. The first is that the governor said these are subject to change. So if we get another spike in cases or something unforeseen comes along, uh, that could shift things. But uh, the other bit of potentially exciting news is that uh, Spokane has been doing really well with their cases and stopping the spread and there are some early indications that we might be able to open earlier or ahead of schedule from the rest of the state. So we're keeping an eye on on that and those changes as they develop. Uh, we'll keep everybody updated in terms of how we plan to operate and when we'll be gathering again in person and all of that. but there is this fresh sense of hope on the horizon and some dates on the on the timeline here. So we're excited for that. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we are using this podcast to explore what it looks like to uh, flourish in this moment that we're living through as followers of Jesus and we've really begun to ask some bigger questions about what God wants to do in the midst of the coronavirus and what life might look like on the other side. So if you were tuning in last week for the Midweek Podcast, you'll remember that we were drawing a comparison between Shelter at Home and uh, the event called Exile in the story of Israel. And if you missed last week's podcast or if you're new to scripture, the Exile is this devastating event in Israel's history, which, in which they're ripped from their homes, from their land, which was really tied to their identity. Uh, they're deprived of their temple, which was their primary place of worship and they're taken into exile in Babylon, and they find it hard to worship there in this strange land, in this foreign environment, and there's a sense in which they're isolated, and they're disoriented, and they're under new and unique forms of pressure, and yet God is up to something in their exile. Uh, In fact, there are some very profound things that God is working in and through this time. Uh, So there's this massive sort of resetting and recalibrating, if we can call it that. Uh, that's happening for them in terms of their culture and their religion. And it's sort of like this major course correction that God's work that God works through these circumstances that they're living through. And so we've been uh, comparing the exile of Israel to a bit of our experience with COVID-19, uh, which for us has been this massive, unsettling, disorienting thing. Uh, many of us have that sense almost of being in a foreign land, even though we're in our own homes. Uh, but again, Again, God is doing something really massive in and through this. and in the big picture, we really feel like God is bringing us into a new era. Uh, we're actually praying for global revival and we'll talk about more uh, uh, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. but we're not only anticipating what God wants to do in the big picture and the global scale, but we're also asking what God wants to do in each one of us during this time of massive resetting and um, recalibration. So last week, we talked about rest and how there was rest to be found in exile, that all of those neglected Sabbaths in the story of Israel were finally being fulfilled in a sense in Israel's exile, and uh, they can be for us as well. Uh, And I think many of us are experiencing that. And so one of the things that we're um, hoping for is to emerge from our own exile with this new and settled rhythm of rest, uh, of prioritizing rest, of prioritizing the Sabbath, uh, of prioritizing our own sanity in a sense, and walking in step with a spirit, Uh, I would call it living a spirit-paced life. Uh, prioritizing friends and family and the things that really matter most in life. So that's what we talked about last week. Uh, But this week, we want to introduce a new concept into the mix, and that is the idea of being cleansed from dead works. Uh, As we contemplate what God is up to and how he might be resetting and recalibrating us during this time, uh, one of the things I'm absolutely convinced of is that God wants, uh, God wants to cleanse us from dead works. And so Donald and I are excited to explore that topic this morning. And uh, I want to start before we kind of dive, dive in, I want to start by just trying to define what we mean by that term. What do we mean by dead works? Uh, what do the scriptures have to say about it? And this is the scripture that for me is really the, the foundation of this idea. This is Hebrews 9, uh, verse 13 through 15. And this is what it says. The writer of Hebrews is comparing kind of the, the old way and the old temple and the old priesthood with the new way in Jesus. And, and he says this. He says, for If the blood of goats and bulls that were sacrificed in in the old temple and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer uh, sanctified that person and, and purified their flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Uh, And so we really want to unpack that that concept this morning, that the blood of Jesus through the Spirit has actually purified our conscience from dead works. It's cleansed us from dead works and freed us to serve the living God in a new way. Uh, And so the first question that that immediately begs, uh, and Donald, you can feel free to jump in at any time, but I'm just going to kind of start working through in my own understanding what is a dead work? How do you know what's a dead work and what is a living work? And I think when we um, first think about dead works or when I first did, like, oh, what are dead works and dead religion? Well, it's all of those. Re- I, I, my mind instantly went to kind of like more of an orthodox or even like kind of a Roman Catholic setting where there's lots of things that are very foreign to me in terms of like the bells and the right. smells and the statues and kind of this very like structured um, sort of formal stuff that kind of feels dead. And we say, oh, well, that's not us. Like we we don't do that stuff. We're not into those kind of like, we're not into those dead things. Uh, we're we're into living things. We don't do those things that are empty and, and lifeless. Uh, we don't just go through the motions uh, religiously. Uh, and so, but I think it's very easy to see that or point that out in other people and a lot less fun to be introspective and see some of that in ourselves. Uh, but ultimately, when it comes down to for me, what is the definition of a dead work? I think it's really that anything that's done without faith and expectation, if you're doing something um in God with God that that has a sense of faith and expectation attached to it saying hey I have faith for this I'm called to do this I actually have this sense or expectation that God is going to use this and move through it well by definition things that are done with faith and hope and love these are living things uh, in fact, Paul says in the end, those are the only things that last are faith, hope, and love. And so when we do things uh, in in and for God that's, that are done in faith, hope, and love with this sense of expectation, to me, that's that's a living work. Uh, if it's done without faith, if it's just an empty repetition or religious duty, then I would call that a dead work. Um, and you you can begin to recognize dead works because oftentimes they don't really bear fruit, uh, but I think it's worth pointing out at the beginning that I think we are in some sense just as in danger of engaging in dead works as anyone else. And I, I think about all the things that we were doing before COVID hit, and you could run all of our activities through this lens. You could ask somebody, hey, why are you doing this? Why are you going to small group tonight? Why are you gathering on a Sunday morning? Why are you serving as a kids leader? And if we're honest, I think the answers to a lot of those questions might be something like, "Well, that's just what we do. That's what we've always done. We're supposed to gather in small groups. We're we're supposed to gather on Sunday mornings. What else would I be doing on a Sunday morning?" Uh, they said they needed kids leaders, and uh, yeah, I'm not like I'm not a huge fan of kids, but somebody <laughs> you know somebody ought to do it. So I'm dying to myself. I'm fulfilling this need. Uh, and I'm doing something that that's, that's good. I'm doing a really good thing. And on the surface, I think all of those answers sound rather harmless, when in reality, I think that if that's the way we're answering those questions, I think in some sense, they're all actually in danger of becoming dead works. Because you notice in those answers, you don't hear any sense of faith, or calling or expectation? What do you expect to happen when you gather on a Sunday? And some of us would say, eh, like nothing much, you know, it's just the same old thing. We're just going to go through the motions and there's no expectation attached to it. Uh, and you can bet if, if the community is headed into a Sunday thinking that you're probably not going to see much fruit either, Uh, but you should be able to, you know, run everything that you do through this lens uh, but you could go into any church and and ask them hey why are you doing this why are you doing that thing over there why are you doing this thing over here and oftentimes the answer you'll get is well i i don't really know i guess we've just always done it that way i that's just what we do and um, and the reason that they started doing those things may have passed away decades ago or in some cases centuries ago right. Um, and, and they're still doing them and there's no sense of faith and expectation. Uh, and I think for me, a helpful example is even thinking about like a conference. So a lot of us um, just out of habit kind of approach a Sunday gathering is more like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do on a Sunday. But think about your own attitude toward a conference. So about a year ago, we were doing the first Amplify conference Mm -hmm. and about half of our church went. And I just think of the way that we approached that, driving over to Missoula, Montana, meeting with these guys who were flying in from around the world. And there was this sense of excitement and expectation. You went in with a sense of faith and a sense of expectation. Uh, And as a result, we saw these remarkable things happen. I feel like most people who went got absolutely rocked uh, and had these huge transformative moments with the spirit. Uh, well why did that happen some of it comes down to the fact that we went in with a sense of faith and expectation and as a result you see this incredible fruit um that's that's not that's the opposite of a dead work a dead work is ah oh, i have to do this so you know i have to go do this uh i'm not super excited about it i don't really expect much to happen from it but i'm going to do it anyways um and So maybe, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Donald. And just kind of the basic understanding of what a dead work is.
1: Yeah, I think the the danger is to say we should never do anything that we don't love. Mm. Um, I mean, there are going to be times where for a season you may be doing something that isn't the thing that is your heart's desire. Sorry. Um, But you can't dismiss those moments. Mm -hmm. But if that is your entire existence or if God calls you to do something, I mean, the main thing is calling, right? Like if God says, I want you to do this and it isn't necessarily your, you know, isn't necessarily the thing that you love or want to do, or maybe even have the faith to do. Mm -hmm. It's different when you have a calling to it. Mm -hmm. The problem is a lot of people do things out of guilt or obligation. Mm -hmm. There isn't. And when you start doing those things, you know, it's amazing. It's, if you are taking over a position in a church or taking over leading a team or let's say participating in a team, sometimes people that are really called to it don't step out in faith to do it because somebody else has filled the void. Hmm. You know, I was reminded years ago, somebody was challenging me and they said, how many times do we not see God faithfully meet our needs because we put a credit card down and we use a credit card instead of waiting patiently for God, hmm. and so God says, "Okay, you're going to take care of your own needs. I'll hmm. let you see how that goes," right. you know. And so, um, those are the things I think you know. In that, it's what is God calling you to, and what's the motivation for it, hmm. and then has it stopped serving its purpose? Right. You know. You think of like the YMCA. The YMCA was started to for evangelism. Mm. You think of Salvation Army, Salvation Army, those guys were crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had in the middle of London, they were taking uh, funeral processions down the middle of the road for evangelism, Mm -hmm. you know, to get people like, why are they doing a funeral procession through the, Mm -hmm. I mean, they were radical in that. But when you think Mm -hmm. of the Salvation Army, now you think of (laughs) thrift stores, you know, has it kind of gone beyond its purpose and sometimes we hold on to things because of nostalgia Mm. and because it's something that we've always done Mm. you know it's like the example of the mom who's cooking a turkey and she cuts the turkey in half before Mm -hmm. she puts it in the oven and the daughter goes why are you cutting the turkey in half I don't know, Grandma always did it this way. Let's call mm-hmm. Grandma. And Grandma goes, well, I did that because the oven was too small and I had to cut it in half. Right. Why are you cutting it in half? Yeah, you shouldn't
0: be doing that anymore. Uh-uh. Yeah, that the reason you started doing that passed away a long time ago. But you're still just doing it because right. this is what we do. Yeah,
1: And that's the thing we need to be asking ourselves is, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Is it still serving a purpose? I mean, those are hard questions to do because it kind of grinds against – Um, it grinds against what people are used to. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't grow up in like a youth group or anything like that, but I led worship, it was like 10 or 15 years ago, in this church uh, for one of their uh, youth services. And it was one of the weirdest experiences, because I had done Young Life and was looking at evangelism and how do we reach kids with the gospel, and they basically did another Sunday service. Mm. I mean, they even passed the plate for offerings during the service. And I was sitting there going, why are we holding another church service for for teenagers or
0: whatever? Yeah. Yeah, It was
1: just really weird. And just thinking, you know, have we really thought through or, you know, have we really thought through why we're even doing the things Mm -hmm. that we're doing? And the church that we were attending before we got sent out, they actually closed the youth the youth ministry, because they were like, we don't think it's serving the purpose hmm. and we need to really pray about this. And we need to really seek God for this. And it was really hard for a lot of parents. Yeah. Cause they were like, this is the only thing they had put so much stock into what was there. Right. That there wasn't, um, it was just really hard adjustment.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, I wrote this quote down from Terry Virgo who I know has been very influential for both of us on this topic yeah. of, of dead works. But Terry says, uh, there's no trace of nostalgia in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and that line just like I just like get goosebumps when I hear that. Like it's just it just resonates with something in me. He's saying like there's not a hint of sentimentality. Like Jesus isn't saying oh, oh that's okay that's okay. Like you've always <laughs> done it that way. Like you know or at some church traditions. Oh you've been doing that way for 500 right. years. It's okay. It's all right. Just like keep on it. I know you really value what you're doing. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say that. He says you see that tree over there is it producing fruit? No, chop it down. down. And the disciples are the ones who kind of have this reaction of like almost more sentimentality of like, Lord, wait, wait, please. Like, can't we like, can't, you know, can't we? And he says, all right, you give it one more try. You dig it up around the roots, which in itself is a painful process. Like you dig things up, you shake things up, you put some new fertilizer in, give it a year. If it doesn't produce fruit again next year, chop it down. And I think there's like sort of a ruthlessness there where he's saying like he, Jesus wants things done in faith and an expectation that bear fruit. Like he has good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do uh, that. He wants us to walk in and those things are going to be living works and those things are going to bear fruit. And I think so oftentimes we slip into this place of, of routine Or I think the motivation thing you said is huge. And why am I doing this? Am I doing this out of religious guilt? Am I doing this because we've always done it this way? And we, I think COVID-19 has provided the perfect environment for us to take a step back and reevaluate what we're doing and why. Why was I showing up on a Sunday? Uh, You can run anything through this lens. Why am I going to my neighbor to share Jesus with them? has God actually placed that in my heart or am I doing this out of religious guilt and obligation? Right. Why am I serving as a kids leader? Why am I showing up on a Sunday morning? Why am I doing these things? Um, and if it's, if it's there's one sense in which it can be a living work that God's called me to do this. I'm doing it with a sense of faith. I'm doing it with an expe- a sense of expectation. Or there's the flip side, which is religious guilt, religious obligation. I'm doing it because it sounds like the right thing to do. I'm doing it because it ought to be done. Uh, so, so I'll do it. Uh, and another thing Terry Virgo says is like, Hey, if you hear yourself saying, I'm doing this because I ought to, um, that phrase, I ought to, ought to, well, there I go saying it again, <laughs> but it should set off an alarm bell in our minds. Like anytime we find ourselves saying, Oh, I'm doing this cause I ought to do it. It's a good Christian thing to do. So, and I'm a Christian, so I should do it. There should be this like, eh, eh, like little bell right. going off. This is wait a second. What do you mean you ought to do it? Are you trying to earn God's favor? Are you going through religious motions? Uh, and I think it's really fitting that we're in the midst of uh, this series on grace. Basically, the series of through Galatians is about grace over the law and legalism. Because the, the scriptures are saying, the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, your conscience has been cleansed. Your conscience has been cleansed from dead works. And I think we have to grasp what that means. Because oftentimes it's our conscience that drives us to do these things right what's going on in your conscience we're always going to ask we're always going to say hey we need more kids leaders hey we need set up and tear down hey we need this hey you know whatever it is but what happens in your conscience when that happens are you secure in the grace of god are you secure in your own identity because if you are then you're able to say no to things there's no getting sucked into oh man well i ought to do this or i have this sense of religious guilt or i want to earn god's favor or earn god's love or repay god for the grace he's shown me in the past um the a real concept of grace frees us from all of that
1: right and even i mean you know i was just even thinking your conscience it's a it's something we don't talk about enough within the
0: context of the church yeah, but I, th- I think the whole um, the whole conscience being cleansed thing is really important. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I agree. We don't really talk about the conscience a lot in the church and kind of understanding our own conscience. But I think what the writer of Hebrews is getting at is that we often engage in dead works or fill our schedules with religious activity because our conscience feels guilty because our conscience is nudging us saying, Hey, you ought to do that where the grace of God sets us free and says, Hey, in my grace, you're totally free from that. You don't have to do any sort of religious performance in order to earn favor or anything like that. Um, But I have this, these new works, these fresh works, these living works for you to engage in. So you're cleansed from the dead stuff. You're, You're not working off religious debt. You're not trying to earn religious favor. Grace frees you from all of that. You have this perfect, permanent, righteous standing before God. So I'm freed from all of that other stuff. And I'm freed up to then, the same scripture says, to serve the living God. So you're still serving, but you're cleansed from all the dead stuff and the ought to and the pressure. And, well, I really should. And someone's pressuring me to do this or this will really please the people around me, you're freed from all of that. And you're free to just serve serve the living God. And so like, I think of my wife as an example where um, years ago when we were getting ready to plant this church and we, you know, we're telling people, hey, here's what we're doing. And we, Uh, we're getting a lot of like odd stuff regarding my wife where people were saying, Oh, well, you're going to be doing to my wife. We're saying, Oh, you're going to be doing a lot of public speaking now. Like you're going to be leading women. You're going to be leading the women's ministry. We had multiple people say, Oh, well in a small church, it's just expected that the pastor's wife leads the children's ministry. Right. Um, and and, and yet she didn't feel called to any of that. Like in the stage of life that we're in right now, she feels uniquely called to discipleship in the home, which means raising passionate followers of Jesus in the form of our children. And it's this incredible calling, but she's heard from God on that. It's settled in her heart. She's naturally passionate about it. So that's what she's devoting her life to in this season because it's settled and her conscience is clear. So when people come along and say, you ought to do this, you ought to do that, you ought to be speaking publicly, you ought to be leading the women, you ought to be more involved with kids. She isn't swayed by any of that. That doesn't burden her conscience. She's like, no, my conscience is cleansed. There's no religious guilt. There's none of that because she has this sense of, no, I have a righteous standing in the grace of God, and I don't have to earn anything. I don't have to prove anything. I'm free to serve the living God in the way that He's called me to. My my conscience is clean is clear. Uh, and I think that's kind of one of the things we have to grasp when we're talking about right. dead works.
1: Yeah, your identity and who you are, having that solid foundation in how God sees you. Like for me, for years, I didn't and you know, we had talked about this story, uh, n- I had basically been doing ministry for, since I became a Christian, you know, I started, mm-hmm. I became a leader in young life, um, graduated from uh, Bible college with a theology degree, and then went and served in youth with a mission for five years with my wife and met my wife and got married. And we felt called out of that. And, um, we felt called to move up to North Idaho, uh, which was a hard transition. Didn't know anybody up here. And most of my Christian walk, I had always had a reputation in front of me. I had mm. always had people either speaking well of me or people knew me. Um, and so walking here, I came in with no reputation at all. Mm. Yeah, And no I felt like you are. Yeah. God put me in a bubble. Mm. Um, he took me from a place of being known to a place of being unknown. Mm. And for a long time, I struggled with that. And I got really angry and um, angry and just was frustrated because I didn't understand what was going on. Hmm. And Terry was uh, sharing a sermon on Elijah. Amazing series, by the way. Um, And he goes, he was sharing about going from a place of being known to a place of being unknown and was using the story of Elijah with, Uh, in front of Ahaz, I think it's Ahaz, and Jezebel, and saying it's not gonna rain. He was like, today's standards, you know, somebody goes and declares before the king, they're gonna go on a speaking circuit. They're gonna go and do all these amazing, you know, God's done all this amazing stuff, look at what he's doing, but yet God took him and put him by a river, and he got fed by ravens.
0: Right Into a place of obscurity. A place of
1: obscurity. And I finally realized that God had taken me from a place of being known a place of having a reputation of having. And he put me in this place of no reputation where people didn't care what I think or thought. (laughs) And I had no friends. It was the first time in my life I'd had no friends. Mm. And this was like eight years later. So this was not a fun experience. And I finally just said, okay, God, I'm ready. What do you want to show me? I'm Mm. whenever you're ready, I'm here. I'll just wait on you. And it was about six weeks later, I was praying and I had this weirdest experience of literally, it was like God took me through every aspect of my walk as I had been a Christian Mm -hmm. and it showed me, I had been looking for my leaders and it was specifically just my leaders, Mm -hmm. um, to validate me, hmm. and to validate what I was doing, to say. So,
0: so he almost like took you back in time, like walked you through all right. the all the places you've served, all the like leadership positions you'd held, and yep. revealed that there was some aspect there of. Hey, do you see how in each one of these situations, you were actually you weren't looking to me alone. You actually had this this ear, this eye toward. Can I get the validation of, am I receiving the validation of these leaders? Right. And
1: it was just this weird thing that was just off in me. Hmm. And um, I think some of it just stems from the relationship with my dad and always Hmm. wanting my dad to validate what I was doing. And my dad was amazing. My dad is an amazing dad, but the one thing he always did was he would challenge me. So Hmm. if I did something amazing, he'd be like, that's great. Now let's see if you can do better.
0: Right. 3.8. Whoa. But I
1: bet you could do a 4.0. You know, I never had a 3.8, but that that might've been you. (laughs) Um, no. So, and God spoke to me at that moment and said, I'm the one who validates. Hmm. I'm the one who has created you the way that I've created you. Mm -hmm. I've given you the giftings and the abilities that I've given you. And nobody else needs to validate that except for me. Wow. and, he validated me in that moment. And it was the weird, I mean, it was like this huge weight got lifted off of me and it's not to say I don't struggle with it at times. Totally. Yeah. Um, but the, the freedom that I have as a result of that, um, has allowed me to really function in the way that God created me. Mm. Like, cause before it was always, you know, you could look at other people that had successful ministries or successful, whatever, mm-hmm. and you could always be comparing and trying to be who they are. Mm-hmm. And there was an aspect of me that wanted that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wouldn't say that was my entire motivation, but let's say it was right. like 10%. Right. Um, there was having that released, it really has saved me, Hmm. you know, having gone through, um, what we went through over the last five years, laying down eldership, laying down ministry, laying down all these, the church plant, I was a hundred percent okay with it Hmm. because it wasn't who I was. Right. Like who I was in the middle of it was my, I'm God's son. Mm -hmm. I'm a prince. And whether I'm In church leadership or out of church leadership Mm -hmm. is not going to change what I
0: do or my value to Him. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, I love what you were saying about just the motivation and being freed up in grace and identity to just be able to, you know, release dead things and grab onto living things. And I even think, uh, what was it, last week I um, used this machine for the first time that is called a D Thatcher. Oh, yeah. uh, like a de-thatcher on a lawn, which basically just like takes all of these claws and like scrapes them through your lawn yep. and rips out all of the. It's put so much force on the grass that anything that's dead gets ripped out, Right. Uh, and all that's left is the stuff that's living. And now the living stuff has all this fresh space around it, and it can expand and grow. And you know your your lawn does well. These are the things I do in isolation, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I was using it for the first time in my life. And I, I almost sense God speaking through that saying, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I wanna do right now to the church is I wanna use this time to sift through and it can be painful. Like what we're going through is a painful experience right. on a lot of levels. Um, and it can feel like forceful and violent. And there's these things being like, have to be clawed out of our lives sometimes. But what's left in the end is something that's actually really healthy uh, and can flourish again. And I just sense God wanting to do that same cleansing work in each one of us and in the life of our church. Like if there was ever a time to cleanse the church from dead works, this is the time. When we re-engage on a face-to-face level, let's choose living works. Like let's choose those things that Paul says are actually going to last. Um, Don't don't say yes to anything because of fear or pressure from people as, as a desire to please people, as a desire to earn something in God that in the here and now that you don't have already in God. And so I think we, this is a great time to kind of be settled in the grace of God, be settled in the identity of God and be asking God, God, what are you calling me to? I wanna walk in the things that you're calling me to because those things have life in them. I don't want, I want my conscience to be cleansed from um, unnecessary pressure to uh, engage in dead works. And ultimately we, it's, a, it's searching motivations. It's searching our own hearts and saying, why do I wanna do this? Why, right. Is it religious guilt? Is it pressure? Is it from other people? Am I afraid what other people will think of me? Am I trying to earn their approval? Um, whatever it is. And I'm just reminded of the, the scriptures that talk about what will happen at the end of the age. And then we want to make it really clear that everything we're talking about in terms of living works and dead works, that's all apart from salvation. Your salvation is settled the grace of god settles all of that your righteous standing before god all of that is settled by grace but then there's this other issue of god calls us to do things and i think we have a hard time balancing those we like to blur them together so keep them very separate in your mind but the scriptures say that in in the end, at the end of the age we'll stand before God and he'll he'll test and reveal he'll search the motives of our hearts. so he can go back almost like he did for you in that moment, Donald, but and say, you know he can ask me, why did you go to Spokane, Matt? Why did you go and plant that church? Was it because you were sick of being under someone else's authority? Was it because you wanted your own platform? was it because you liked the sound of your own voice because it was because you wanted to be important right um, or, you was it a living was it a living thing? He'll actually test the motives. And I, I want to read this scripture. Maybe we have to round it out here in the next few minutes. But sure. this scripture has been really important for me in understanding the difference. Uh, it says, uh, if anyone, this is Paul talking, First Corinthians, it says, if anyone builds on the foundation of the gospel, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day or the day of the Lord will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. In addition to salvation, will receive a reward from Jesus. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the pl- through the flames. And I love that imagery. It's been really helpful for me in saying like this scripture saying you'll be saved either way. But what you're doing with your life is either going to earn you this reward before God, this eternal reward in the kingdom of heaven or it's going to be burned up. There's this testing fire that's going to come at the end of the age and it's going to burn up all the dead works and it's only going to leave the living works. So if you've been doing dead works your whole life, well, guess what? It will gain you nothing. Um, I just picture like, it's kind of a funny picture in my mind, but almost like going before God and laying out all of this stuff. And then for some people, it's all going to burst into flames and there's going to be this panic like, oh, my gosh, I got to get out of here. Like everything I was presenting to God is like up in flames. And you're like running through the flames into the kingdom of heaven. And, and Paul's saying, you'll be saved. It's not an issue of salvation. Like you're coming. You're right. you're coming into the kingdom. If you've, if you've put your faith in Jesus, but he's going to test the quality of each person's work and all the dead works are going to get burned up and only the living works that were done with a sense of faith, with a sense of hope and expectation and love, the things that God actually called us to do, those things will survive.
1: Yeah. Even kind of tagging along with that, the couple of verses that God had really hit on my heart was for 1 Corinthians 13 the one on love, but he goes through and he says, if I do all these things, um, whether you're doing prophesy, you know, these are amazing things. Prophesy. If you have all the mysteries and knowledge, all the faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love. I am nothing. Hmm. Um, and he says, if I give, donate all my goods to, to feed the poor. And if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then if you look at, at Revelations, where he's talking about Ephesus, and he said, you've done all of these amazing things. You guys have been an amazing church. However, you've forgotten your first love. Hmm. And he even goes to to say, says, otherwise, he said, you need to get that back. You need hmm. to get back the reason why you're doing the things that you wow. do. Otherwise, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place.
0: Right. Which and, is to shut down the church. Which is to shut down the church. Yeah. And and you see that a lot, I mean, you see, uh, there's thousands all across America. There's thousands of churches that are closing, and I'm guessing this COVID thing's gonna like finish off a lot more. But churches across our nation are closing way faster than they're opening. Churches are dying off, and again, Terry Virgo really challenged me with this this question of like, those churches didn't die overnight. Yep, like dead works crept into the death crept in. Good. It wasn't that they were living one day and dead the next. It's that they weren't introspective. They weren't willing to chop down the unfruitful trees. They weren't willing to give up dead works. They weren't willing to reset. Um, and I think we want to use, as we close, it's just it's the only way to sum it up, is we want to use COVID-19 to do this resetting, to do this rethatching, to chop down the unfruitful trees, to re-examine ourselves before God and say, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Lord, what are you actually calling me to? I want to do the, the living works that you're calling me to. Why do I gather on a Sunday? Is that a dead work? Is that a living work? I want to make it a living work. I want to go into that with a sense of hope, with a sense of faith, with a sense of expectation, with a sense of we're going to meet with God. Imagine what could happen. God could do, God could do anything in this. And so as we look to the future now, seems like, it sounds like we we're, we're, we've, we're hitting the halfway mark or passing the halfway mark. We're looking to the future. We're saying, Hey, sometime in the next four to six weeks, we could be gathering again and re-engaging in somewhat normal life and some level of public church life. And as we do, we want to choose living works over dead works. That's good. Yeah. Any final thoughts?
1: You know, it's the only other thing was just thinking about the church in. um, it was the church right after that. And, oh, crud, I'm totally forgetting the name of the church. Um, Laodicea. Oh, okay. But um, with Laodicea, it was interesting, because I've always read that where he talks about you're neither hot nor cold,
0: mm. and
1: I wanted to spit you out of my mouth. Yes. Um, and I never really understood the context of that, but mm. I was watching a church history guy's uh, drive-through history, and he was talking about there were two cities around Laodicea, one of them was known for their hot springs and people would come and there was healing benefits in it. Mm. And then a city, uh, I think it was to the South of it had cold springs mm. and people knew it and they were drawn to it and they went to it for its healing properties. Mm. And he was, Pointing out to Laodicea, he's like, You're neither of those. Right. You're just a lukewarm city. Mm -hmm. You have nothing that defines you, nothing that differentiates you. Mm. And so nobody wants to visit you. Right. And the interesting thing he said about that church was that we know very little about it in history, Mm. other than what the revelation had shared, because they just had nothing distinctive about Mm. them. Yeah. And they had become so ingrained in the culture and. They just had lost their distinctiveness where mm-hmm. I think there's two sides to the dead works. One is you can go, well, then I don't have to do anything. You know, it's right. kind of that response to grace. Right, right. I don't have to do anything. But God isn't calling you to just be um, uninvolved. Mm-hmm. He's just wants you to be involved in things that he's calling you to. And mm-hmm. we just need to remove those from
0: us so that we can be distinctive and have flavor to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't like lukewarmness. He's not nostalgic. He doesn't keep things around just because they've been there. Um, he's after he wants us white hot for good works, but rooted in the grace of God, choosing living works over dead works, doing things, but for the right reason. Right. So as we re-engage, if you don't have motivation for it, if you don't have faith for it, if you don't have some expectation uh, surrounding it, then don't do it. Like you, we want our hearts to be in the right place and we want to choose living works over dead works. So yeah. uh, maybe we could just pray that in uh, as we close here. That'd be good. Uh, so yeah, maybe I'll open this up and if you want to sure. pray after that. But yeah, Jesus, we um, we honor you, Lord. And we praise you. We bless you for giving us such an amazing um, sort of scandalous salvation that you've just declared us righteous, that you've given us uh, your very righteousness that we don't have to earn anything yeah. we're safe in our in our salvation we're safe in our in our uh, who we are our identity our our place in the family and yet we see lord that you uh, have good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do that you actually have this rich rewarding call on our lives and an eternal reward uh, for those who live into that call, for those who who live out living works, God, who engage in those types of things. You actually offer an eternal reward that's greater than anything that sin or distraction could possibly offer us. And so, Lord, we want to be people, as we re-engage in the coming weeks and in the coming months, we want to be people who are, are have a conscience that's cleansed from dead works, who do uh, living works and who do them uh, for the right reasons and the right motivation.
1: Father, we pray just this message of grace would uh, just permeate our hearts. Father, would um, just so change us, God, in just knowing our identity in you, knowing that we are righteous, Father, Mm -hmm. that we are justified. God, that we can stand before you completely 100% blameless because of what you did. God, I pray that um, let that message impact us And free us from having to um, meet a standard. I pray this in your name. Amen.